We're looking this morning at What Are You Wearing is the title. Now, that can make you feel, oh, yeah, I like what I'm wearing, or it might make you look down and think, oh, I'm not quite happy with my outfit or whatever. But the Bible is very clear that God cares about what we're wearing. He cares about what we're wearing. Now, let me be honest with you. It's not about the physical clothes that we're wearing, so we can take a load off there. All right? It's not about that. He cares about what we're clothed in. What we're clothed in. He, he knows that some of you today are wearing guilt, are wearing shame, are wearing grief, are wearing brokenness. And he wants to say, no, I will clothe you with my healing, with my righteousness, with my grace, with my forgiveness. In other words, he clothes us with goodness. And so too with us this morning, there's a bit of a theme about what we're wearing in terms of what we're meant to be wearing, what God intends you and I to be clothed in on a Monday morning. And I'll explain what I mean when we get into the passage. But we're going to look at the armour of God, uh, Paul writing to the Ephesians in chapter 6. And uh, I found myself uh, just praying for this talk and looking at this passage again, really almost God highlighting things for me that I've never seen before. And my hope and my prayer is that he'll do the same for us as we look at putting on the armour of God. For our struggle, starting at verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all of the saints. So there's good news and bad news in a way. The news is we are in a battle, for sure. Every one of us here could probably name at least one battle that we're in. Some may be bigger than others at the moment. But there is a war raging within us and around us. And whether you believe in God today or not, it's very easy to see that evil is real, isn't it? We only have to look at war, uh, look at what's happening in Ukraine, read our papers, tune into our news to know that evil can often look like it's winning. And I find it interesting that some people believe in God but don't believe in the devil. Because as this passage says, and Paul's writing this saying, be alert, know that there is an enemy. There is a God, there is a good God, but there is an enemy. There is an evil force, the devil. And sometimes we can overplay his role. C.S. Lewis talks a lot about that. But sometimes, and I think perhaps certainly for me, we can underplay his role in that he wants to thwart us with his schemes. He doesn't like it 
when even we, as Ben said earlier, when we gather together and we wake up our souls and we pray together and we praise together, then the enemy retreats because we advance in the kingdom. We have his power. I had a lovely friend at university called Tim, and he was a real impact on my life in my second year, sharing the good news of Jesus with me. And he said he came to faith because of a bad trip on drugs. And it was so frightening, so evil what he saw in the trip that he had on ecstasy that he went to the nearest church and said, there is something evil in this world and I need to be on the other side. We're on the other side. We're on the winning side today, but there is an enemy who is out to get us. And I, I, as a pastor, see sometimes where people can live in fear, and that is not the heart of this passage. The heart is the opposite of that. It's to say, I have given you an armour to wear that will clothe you on a Monday morning, on a Friday evening, when you're out. Wherever you are, I will clothe you with this stuff, but you need to be alert, and you need to be intentional about it. And I found, uh, somebody read this over me uh, just before Easter, and I suddenly thought, gosh, it's a long time since I've intentionally gone through this passage and actually put on the armour. Some of you I know do it. I, I spoke to a friend last night who says she literally has it on her door so that she sees it as she goes out of the flat. Brilliant. So that we know we're going out into our day clothed in this armour. And the truth is, we cannot fight our battles that are supernatural with natural weapons. We cannot fight the battles that are supernatural with natural weapons. Now, you might say, what does that mean? Well, the try-to-be-good model, we know it doesn't work, don't we? We know that we think, oh, I just want to try harder, must be better, must be better. Without prayer, without the word of God, without the work of the Holy Spirit, that's not going to work. And we know people who've tried it and failed and dropped out because they've tried hard and it didn't work. Paul says, what I try to do in the natural, I mess up. That's why we need this armour. That's why we need to recognise that we're in a battle. We've been given supernatural weapons and the battle is raging. Put on the full armour of God, Paul says, so that you can stand against the devil's schemes in Ephesians 6 verse 11. And the first piece of armour that he mentions is the belt of truth, buckled around our waist, keeping it all together. You know, somebody said keeping your trousers from falling down. I don't know what army that's part of, but you know what I mean? Holding the whole thing in place so that our shame is not taunting us, so that the enemy can't use that against us. And I'd love to invite Matt Morgan up uh, to talk to us about this, because he has some direct experience of how the belt of truth and putting on the armour of God helped him in a particular battle. So let's give him a welcome, because it's all very well for me, welcome Matt, um, it's all very well for me to say all about this armour, but actually you want to know whether you're tuning in or whether you're here in the room, does this work? And uh, Matt, I wondered if you'd, I know uh, a while back actually you shared with many of us at church that you'd had a particular struggle with uh, OCD, with your mental health at a time, and uh, I know chatting to you this week that you were really helped by some practices of putting the armour on, uh, particularly the belt of truth, I think. So do you yeah. want to just share? Um, I hope so. Okay. Um, so yeah, when you struggle with OCD or any kind of anxiety, the truth is something that's severely lacking. 
Um, I suppose it's something that lacks all of us at some point in our time. If we're worrying about things, they're very often illogical. But OCD is something which is uh, just very, very scary. It's a bit like talking about this guy who must have been on this trip. Mm. It's extremely scary because there's no truth hanging around your head at all. And, and uh, I remember talking at the time to somebody else who had suffered with OCD. And he said to me, for now, Matt, you're going to have to learn not to trust yourself. You're going to have to learn to trust other people because your truth doesn't make sense. When you walk past a stone and you kick it and you think it's going to fly up and hit somebody and, and damage them, well, that doesn't make sense, Matt. So you've got to learn not to trust yourself and you've got to learn to go and spend time with other people who can start to speak truth. And I was saying to Judy, really, that when you're in a really bad place, my last relapse was about 12 years ago now, but when you're in a really bad place, actually, it's very difficult to put this... Um, this armour of God on yourself. Other people tend to put the armour on for you, particularly people like my wife and people that knew me very well and knew exactly where I was would be able to speak that truth into my life, the truth of salvation. And it is very scary because when I became a Christian, the word truth was very significant in my conversion. And um, I remember just that word truth beaming out. And so you know you found the truth and yet there's no truth in your life. And it's very, very confusing and very, very worrying. But I suppose there's uh, three things I'd say, really. First of all, um, you know there is truth. And you know that that truth is not based on your performance. It's not based on uh, how good I am or how clever I am. It's based on my relationship with Jesus. And so I know that truth is out there. The truth is out there. And so when I had six weeks off work with severe anxiety, I knew the truth was out there. I couldn't make decisions whether to turn left or right down the road, but I knew the truth was out there. And I knew that I could just sit on my sofa with nothing there, but I knew Jesus was with me. And it would make absolutely no sense what I was going through. I remember screaming out at times, God, this doesn't make sense. But I knew he was still there. And secondly, I'd say... What I really needed, as I think I've already said, is I needed people who really knew me. Because it's one thing to have these verses in the Bible, which are 100% truth and 100% really good. But if you just say them, somehow it doesn't hit home. But when you have somebody who can pass to you, can be with you, and you, through humility you can say, I need you, they can start to speak that armor into your life. So you really need people, I really needed people close to me to speak that truth in. And then lastly, I'd say, I need all of you. This is one of the most amazing places I've ever been, Riverside, the most caring and loving and giving people. And still today, I need every one of you. And every one of you who is speaking out truth in your worship and the kindness and the goodness you give to me, that's all truth. And today, I won't go into this because Judy told me not to take over this, the whole sermon. But um, <laughs> I know you don't like it. I, I say the Lord's Prayer every day, and I don't say it. In, in, a, in a row, and I just, I, I have it as a heading. And the first heading, our Father, I know that God is my Father, and I pray into that heading. And I go through that every day. Mm. I need a daily reminder of the truths of God. And those nine lines of the Lord's Prayer are a daily reminder of the truth of God in, in, its, in its full breadth, if you go through the Lord's Prayer. And it is so beautiful. But I need you guys as well, who are kind and giving and loving and gracious to me. Uh, I need that every day. So thank you for speaking truth to me every day, really. Brilliant. Thank you, Matt. Thanks so much. Brilliant.
just so practical and encouraging and even chatting a bit to Matt this week, it really energised me in my prayer life to think he sent me some things. Oh, yes. <laughs> Too many microphones. I'm going to give this to him. <laughs> Great. Um, let's move on to the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, the breastplate of righteousness protects the heart, protects the organs. And we know our heart is where we're vulnerable. Paul knew that. Uh, he shared many times of his struggles and his battles. And to actually know, as Matt has reminded us today, that we have Jesus' righteousness, that every time we pray, every time we read our Bible, we claim again the righteousness of Jesus, that it clothes us, that we are forgiven. And the enemy is the other voice to that. So the enemy, if you've got your breastplate on, will say, you are not forgiven. You did the unforgivable. Your shame is so real it can't be set free from. And yet, that's a lie of the enemy. And the enemy is an accuser and he is a liar. He does those things. Those are his arsenal, if you like. Those are his weaponries. And so we have to be alert to, is that truth? And this is a struggle for many of us. I've shared many times it can be a struggle for me to actually say, is that truth? I am forgiven. And therefore, we go into our days wearing that, wearing that righteousness and craving to live a holy life because of it. Interestingly, I was reading about the, the breastplate particularly, his grace, his righteousness. It said it protects us from the front but not the back. Interesting, isn't it? All of this armour, if you like, much of it is to do with the front of us, but what about the back? And that is why Paul keeps saying, stand Stand firm, face on to your struggles. Don't shrink back. And I really believe this is a word for us as church as well. Stand firm, facing the enemy with truth, with your weaponry, with these things that we've been given, guarding us. There was a great bit in Freedom in Christ, which we haven't done for a while, but some of you will be familiar with it. And it was around temptation. It was just a very practical thing. Um, and Steve Goss shared, he said, if you're on a diet and there is a donut shop that even the smell of the donut sets you off, and there is another way home that is equidistant, as soon as you walk home where you know the donut shop is on that road, you are almost saying it's an option. Do you see what I mean? It's not really about donuts. But actually, we say, if there are two ways to walk, I'm going to go that way. And we stop the thought there. Because as soon as we entertain it, we start to walk towards the donut shop. But actually, as we take the other way home, then we say, no, I will not give in. We put the breastplate of righteousness on us to guard our heart. The next thing Paul says is the feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. You'll see some sparkly gold shoes hanging up against that light. Hopefully they won't catch fire. And um, those are to represent the gospel of peace. Feet fitted with readiness for the gospel of peace. Because as I was praying and as we were thinking about today, there's a recommissioning when we come together like this, whether you're joining us at home or not, to say, actually, as we put the armor on, have we got that gospel missional mentality as we go out into our week? Because as we heard earlier and, and as we've said many times, people are looking for truth every 
everywhere at the moment and finding it wanting. And we have a truth that is real, that changes lives, as we've heard from Matt, as I could testify for myself. We have this truth. So are we ready? Are we alert to the mission that every one of us is called to on a Monday morning? I read yesterday, even in the wilderness when you're hiking, do not take off your boots. Why would you? I don't know. But that's what I read. And actually, there's a truth to that spiritually. Even in the wilderness, and many of you are there now, do not take off the shoes of mission. Because as we said last week, it can be in those darkest, most broken times that actually the gospel shines brightest in your life. In Deuteronomy, it says, your sandals have not worn out on your feet. And may that be said of us, that we didn't grow weary in sharing the good news of Jesus with a world that desperately needs to hear it and overcoming evil with good. The shield of faith with which you can extinguish, Paul says, all the arrows of the evil one. The first line of defense covering the whole body, not held lightly but strapped to the forearm in, for no fear of dropping it, the shield of faith. Let's pray for us that our faith would be so fastened in our lives. Let's pray for the gift of faith to rise in us again, the shield that extinguishes those arrows. And this is is so tricky for us because we need to recognize the voice of the enemy sometimes. Uh, Some of you know I was involved with the Passion Play in Norwich uh, on Easter Saturday, and literally a 1,000 people over the three different performances, and we had to do the resurrection twice, because there were too many uh, people in the cathedral, in the church. Um, in the church. Um, it was an amazing experience where we enacted the gospel on Easter Saturday in glorious sunshine to hecklers, to people on the streets, you name it. And I played Mary, the mother of a six-foot-four Jesus, so that was a miracle in itself, never mind the Immaculate Conception. Amazing. Um, he was brilliant, the guy who played Jesus. And um, some of you know I struggle a bit when I've done a performance or a preach with my own sort of doubts and spiraling and all of that and uh, I drove away with a friend and I, I just said we nailed it which is rare for me it was just we did it God we nailed it it was brilliant and we went home celebrating we thought what a privilege to be involved how brilliant in the middle of the night a voice goes into my head you messed a line up Judy at the cross you said the wrong line You said, I am totally numb, when you should have said, I'm totally raw. And I've been crying for 20 minutes, so it made no sense. And to you, you're looking at me like, yes, and. But it became so big that by 8 o'clock on Easter Sunday morning, I'd rung three people. None of you are here, but how embarrassing. On Easter Sunday, you did not want a call from me saying, did I get a line wrong in Norwich? Do you know what I mean? But it was so real to me. And all of those people, as Matt said, spoke truth to me and said, Judy, this is strange. This is out of, you know, ordinary. And yet that day we were baptising our young people on Easter Sunday. We'd just done performances that said, Jesus is alive. I had been a little bit naive, hadn't I? To not think, hang on a minute, there's a collation here, I don't need to fear it, just speak truth to it and say, actually, I am not going to go there, I'm not going to walk past the donuts, if you like. 
Pray that our faith will stay in place and that we'll have those around us. As we were praying for this service, Sue Weaver reminded us, a little bit like Matt said, that we need each other's shields, that the Roman army would put their shields together to protect one another. I needed those people to speak truth into me and to say, whose voice is this that you're getting distracted by? And Paul in the New Testament, he goes on to say how much we need the helmet of salvation, how much of the the New Testament is about thought life. It's incredible. There's so much there about him wrestling with truth. And the helmet covers the head. We know that. We've got one here, a little bit different to, to normal helmets, but we've got a helmet of salvation. And it protects, if you like, the seven openings in the head. There are our eyes, there are our nostrils, there are our ears, and there is our mouth. And our senses, what we read, what we listen to, what we take in, make us really vulnerable to the lies of the enemy if we get it wrong. The helmet of salvation is truth. It is that you are forgiven. It is that you are in Christ righteous. And yet, if you read something, if you start to get drawn into, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's just reading stuff that doesn't help your spirit, maybe it's looking at stuff or listening to stuff, our senses need that helmet of salvation as we dress up each day to say, I will be protected by the truth. And if you are caught up in that, do not be ashamed. Come for prayer. Uh, Message us. One of us would pray for you because we're all in battles of different types and we need that helmet of salvation. Jesus, um, Peter said um, that he struggled. Where would he go to? Where else could he go that you, Jesus, have the words of eternal life? Paul said we need the mind of Christ. He knew that we needed to pray for the mind of Christ. In the Old Testament, uh, Abimelech forgot his helmet in Judges and he went out to charge the city wall without it. There's reminders throughout the Bible that we need that protection, that sacred protection over what we watch, what we listen to. And we crave holiness. All of us, if we're believers today, crave holiness and we have it in Jesus. We have it, even as we sit here or as you watch at home. We have his holiness at work in us. And finally, Paul says the sword of the spirit. There are 449 references uh, to swords in the Bible. All of the other things that we've mentioned are defense, but this is attack. So we're defended. We've talked about standing. We've talked about standing firm. But the sword advances us, and that is the word of God. That is our Bibles. That is every time you open a Bible, whether it's for five minutes or 50, the enemy doesn't like it. But God says, that's my child. Communing with me, taking in truth, putting the armor on, getting the sword out. Um, I heard yesterday somebody told me that Joyce Meyer uh, always says she wants the devil to say, oh no, she's up. (laughs) Um, In other words, she's up engaging with the truth that we are a threat to the evil forces of this world because there is power in the Bible. When I became a Christian, uh, as some of you know, I was filled with the spirit instantly. It was quite dramatic for me. It isn't for everyone, but it really was for me. I think it needed to be. And that very night, in the middle of the night, I had the most horrendous apparition, if you like, of the devil that I've ever had before or since. There was a battle for me, for my life. And I didn't know what to do, but I knew that the Bible was powerful. So I sat up in bed and held it. 
I think opening it might have been a better thing, but I was new. So I literally was like this, thinking, okay, I'll do this because that's what I'm supposed to do. But actually, even in that, even in that, you're getting hold of your sword in my naivety. But as we open this word of truth, as we go into battle, as we hold out the sword, it's a double-edged sword, the Bible says. It's quick, powerful, and sharper than anything else that we could use. It is a spiritual cutting. What's interesting is swords were used in the Bible, in biblical times, to cut people's ropes free. They weren't just used in physical battle. They were used to cut people's ropes free. And I can testify, and Matt and others of us here can testify, that we have been cut free by the love of Jesus, by his saving power, by the truth of his word, by ingesting it, taking it in, and knowing that actually we are forgiven, that we are free. The word of God does this for us. And we need frequent use or it gets dull. The sword would dull if it wasn't used frequently. And so is true with us and the Bible. We have a chance, and Paul ends the passage here. Watch and pray, he says. And I believe that's for us as church. I love the adverts from all the different locations saying, come and pray. It just really lit me up and made me feel, yes, because we're an army. And if you are part of Riverside Church, if you're belonging to Riverside, if you got baptized on Easter Sunday, you have signed up for an army. An army for good, an army for Jesus, an army on mission to stand. I'm going to just share, um, before we ask the band to come back up and the prayer team just in one moment, I'm going to share something that I read this week that I thought, I think this could really be for us at Riverside. It was uh, shared about the American Civil War where two particular warring armies were at war with each other. And one was clearly felt that they were losing, lost, they were weary in battle, and every army had their own flag bearer. They had a standard bearer who would always stand where territory had been won and just stand. And this army were giving up, they were tired, they were shrinking back, they were going down the hill, they were weary. But this one standard bearer on his own with cannons and shots going all around him stood with his standard, with his flag and just would not be moved. And they were calling to him saying, we're retreating, come back. And he said, no, this is our territory, we won it, I'm standing And I felt that was really for us at Riverside, at home and here in the room. Let's not shrink back at this time. We are weary. We've been through two and a half years or more of struggles of all sorts as a nation and as a world. The danger is that we take off the shoes or we lay down the sword or we say, I'm weary. But Jesus is our standard bearer. And he calls to us, he says, don't shrink back, Riverside. Don't grow weary. Keep advancing. Keep overcoming evil with good. Keep wearing your armor. Keep holding on the sword, even if you're struggling. Hold it out. Even like me as a young one, you know, holding the Bible up in my naivety to say, come, Lord Jesus, we are forgiven We hold on to the truth. We hold on to his righteousness in our lives. We put on the helmet of salvation, protecting our thought life. We refuse to believe the lie that says you are not part of this church, that you are not welcome here, that there's something wrong with you. All the different lies that we believe. Jesus today wants to speak truth to us.